Do you believe in New Year's resolutions? Now, be honest. Who here has made a New Year's resolution? Yeah? Right. Now, oh, there's not many of you. Second question. Who here has already broken their New Year's resolution? <laughs> yes. It's only been six days, but it's a long, long time. <laughs> why do we make New Year's resolutions? You know, why do we take the opportunity as we clock over a new calendar year to bring about some new choices and decisions in our lives? We make them in order that hopefully by the end of this year that things would be different. That's why we make these New Year's resolutions. No one makes New Year's resolutions and aims to be exactly the same in the next 12 months. The point is that by the end of the year, that because of the choices and decisions that you make, that your future would end up somewhat different. See, the, the choices and decisions that we make now what we choose to make as a New Year's resolution now is actually determined by where you want to be in 12 months' time. We choose to exercise now. Why? So that we'd be healthy in the future. We choose to invest into friendships now. Why? So that at the end of the year, we'd have deeper relationships. We choose to study hard now. Why? So that we can pass the exams at the end of the year. We make decisions now for the sake of the future. If this is the case, then let me ask you a question. What is the end goal of our faith? As a Christian, right? As a Christian, what do you think the end goal is? In our spiritual lives, where do you want to end up? What do you think the end is? Now, I think there's some misconceptions about this because sometimes we think that our spirituality, like our relationship with God, our, our, our faith, it's all about doing the big thing. It's all about, you know, achieving greatness. But I actually think that the Bible tells us that the end goal is this word, faithful. The goal of our spiritual lives is not necessarily to reach millions of people, but I actually think that the end goal of our lives is to be there on that last day, still with the Lord. So many times we, we think that God wants these things, these lavish and extravagant things in our faith. But can I tell you what, what God wants is for you to be there at the end. He wants you to live your life, get through life, and be there on that last day. Now, some of us will run. We'll run to the end, strength on strength. Some of us will crawl. We'll barely get there, but, you know, we'll get there. But it's all about finishing the race. It's all about finishing the race. The, writers, the writer of Hebrews is writing this letter, and, and, and he's writing this letter to a group of Christians who are in a very difficult situation. 
Because of their faith in Jesus, they were being persecuted. And, and, and because of this persecution and hardship, they, were, they didn't, some of them just didn't want to stick it out. They were tempted to leave the faith or go back to their old ways in Judaism. In Hebrews 11, the, the chapter before, we, we see this great chapter where a list of those who did not just amazing things are mentioned, but these people that made it to the end. They call it the great hall of faith. And these people are mentioned not because of the amazing things that they did, but I think they're mentioned because they made it to the end. They finished the race. So if finishing the race is the goal, if finishing the race is the goal, how do we get there? How do we get there? And we're going to talk a lot about this, these processes this year, especially to do with our spiritual pathways. But let me ask, how do you get there? How do you get there to finish the race? Just like many people, at the beginning of the year, one of my New Year's resolutions was what? To go healthy again, right? So what do I do? I, 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 I walk back into the gym, good job, and her pat on the back. Um, and, and, and always, first week of January, the gym is as busy as it's going to be the whole year. The gym is always busy the first week of January and the week before City to Surf, right? But you know what's funny? You can tell... There are two types of people that turn up to the gym on the first week of January. The people that have been just continually going to the gym and it's just something that they normally do or the people that made up a New Year's resolution and said, you know what, this year I'm going to become healthy. Do you know how to know the difference between these two groups of people? I noticed this as I was at the gym. For the people that have been coming to the gym, they know what they want. Right? They know they want to be healthy, but it goes beyond just being healthy. They know specifically what their goals are. And so they know exactly what machine to go to. They know exactly what exercise they need to do. They don't muck around. They're not watching the TV. They're not listening to the music. They know, go to here, do this, go to here, do this, go to here, do this, go to here, and then they're done. But the people that have never really gone to the gym and they've just made up this decision that, you know what, this year I'm going to go back to the gym. I'm going to be healthy again. Do you know what they do? What they do is they, they flounder around the gym. And they go, oh, yeah, this looks pretty interesting. I'll try this. Oh, yeah, this, you know, no one's on this machine. I'll, I'll go try this. And they try a little bit of everything. But at the end of the day, they actually don't do anything. I think this can be very similar to our spiritual lives. The goal is to be there to finish the race. But how? You know, a lot of us, we don't know how. For a lot of us, our spiritual lives are kind of like just kind of an accident. We kind of just sort of stumble into it. You know, oh, you know, go to church. Okay, someone said go to church everywhere. Okay, I'll go to church. Oh, join a life group. You need a community. Oh, okay, you know, I'll try a life group. You know, I'll try that. Oh, hey, you need to be serving. You need to be the hands of feeding. Oh, okay, I'll serve. You know, I'll kind of, you know, help out what's necessary. So they kind of do a little bit of this and a little bit of this. But after a while, they don't see any real growth. There's no real focus or, or purpose. They just kind of flounder around. 
But the writer in Hebrews gives to us today, I think, the answer to the question of how. How is it that we're meant to run this race so that we get there in the end? There are four things in this passage that I want to look on and then talk about you, how you're going to do it. The first thing is this, throw it off. Verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, let me use the gym analogy because I think it's such a great analogy, right? The first thing that if you want to exercise and if you want to get healthy is what? You need to get rid of some stuff. You ever seen anyone at the gym on the treadmill in jeans? You know that they have no idea what they're doing. You know, you don't, you, don't, you don't go and see people running marathons in long pants or baggy jumpers because it's cold. Why? Because it weighs them down. It becomes a weight. The writer of Hebrews literally says, throw off everything. And the Greek word that, that, he use, that they use for, for, for weight or hinders is this word called onkos, which means a weight, a burden, or a mass. The first step in moving towards the goal of faithfulness is that we need to know how to throw off the unnecessary in our lives. We need to know how to cut the fat in our lives. Now, there are two things that the writer says that we need to throw off, right? Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let me start with the second one. The sin that so easily entangles. Sin is defined as when we miss the mark. Sin is actually an archery term. It's when we miss the mark. And so when we say that we sin, we miss the mark of what God desired for us. We miss the mark of God. And we do this all the time. Sometimes we do it unknowingly, but most of the times we do it knowingly. There's a donut store in the same complex where my gym is. And I walk past it twice. Once when I walk towards the gym and once when I'm walking out. I don't know why I keep parking my car there. Silly, right? Just park my car somewhere else. So I don't know. Every time, it's a temptation. Every time. When I'm walking to the gym, this is what I think. Oh, well, I'm going to the gym. I can have a donut now. I'm already going to exercise. Or when I'm walking back to the car, I've already been to the gym. I've already burnt the calories. I'm sure I can enjoy a donut, right? But obviously, we know that eating donuts and becoming healthy, they miss each other. You can't eat healthy things and think that if I go to the gym, I'll be healthy. In the same way, you can't continue to engage in sinfulness And think that you can walk in health with God. How can that be? It can't be. That's what the Bible says. Throw off the sinfulness that so easily entangles. I think that's really important. Easily entangles, right? Sometimes we engage in sin thinking that it's okay. I'm not hurting anyone else. It's just about me. It's okay. Nobody knows. But it's so easy for sin to tangle up our lives. That's an obvious one. But secondly, if we go the beginning of that, the verse actually says that, that we ought to throw off everything that hinders and the sin. 
I think the writer's trying to tell us that there are things that, that we need to throw off that actually hinder us, that actually might not be sinful. The writer tells us that it doesn't have to be a sin for it to be a burden or a hindrance, but actually there are many things in this life that may not necessarily be sinful, but actually can be very weighty, very burdensome in our lives. Let me give you some examples. Distractions, social media, gaming, unhealthy relationships, work, whatever it is, on their own aren't necessarily bad things. They're not sinful things, but do they hinder you? Do they get in your way in your relationship with God? An example of this is right next to my gym is Rebel Sport. Now, there is nothing wrong with Rebel Sport. Rebel Sport is a a sports goods store. There's nothing sinful about Rebel Sport. It's great. But if I'm going in there to spend 30 minutes every time before I go to the gym, which is taking into the 30 minutes I should have been at the gym, then going into Rebel Sport, is, is, it's a distraction. It's a hindrance to my goal. So what do I need to do? I need to throw it off. I'm going to ask you this at the end, but what are some things that you need to throw off? Whether they're sinful or whether they're just a hindrance. The writer tells us we need to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Secondly, the writer tells us that we need to run with perseverance. Verse 1, and let us run with perseverance the race. One of the, once you begin your spiritual life, right? Now hear this statement. Once you begin your spiritual life with God, everything in life will get easier. Do you know who said that? The devil. That is one of the greatest lies that exists in our day today, is that when we connect with God, everything in our lives should work out for us. But friends, the Bible tells us over and over again, it shows us and it models us that the spiritual race is actually one marked with persecution, struggle, and hardship. The Bible tells us the way of faith is the narrow gate, the narrow road, not the wide one, not the one that everyone can find. Jesus tells us whoever follows me will face persecution and hardship. The Bible does not promise a good life on earth. And if that's what you've been thinking till now, you have been deceived. The race is hard. The race is long. The Christian life isn't a short sprint where you just go for it for a little season and then that's enough. It's a marathon. And the goal is to finish that race. People that have lived life long enough would know that there are seasons of plenty and there are seasons of few. The writer tells us that when we run, we are to run with perseverance. Another word for perseverance is endurance. Let me define those. Perseverance, persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Endurance, the ability to sustain a prolonged stressful effort or activity. 
The Bible never tells us avoid all hardship and struggle. It tells us to run through them and keep going. Keep going. It's a long game. The problem with our generation is that we are the instant generation. We are the fast food generation. We are the same day delivery or money back generation. We are the, I'm not going to wait on my phone on hold, you call me back generation. But friends, faith doesn't work like that. The race doesn't work like that. If you read the list of the faithful men and women in Hebrews 11, they all went through their seasons on seasons on seasons, good and bad, plentiful and drought. Too many times life gets hard and we give up. Isn't that the truth? I'm going to read the Bible. I love, uh, there was a meme, right? I'm going to read the Bible from front to end, Genesis, Exodus, and then you get to Leviticus, and then you can't get over that hill, and then that's it. I'm going to commit to life groups, and then suddenly this one person turns up to life group, and you don't really get along with them. Anymore. Or a sport starts, or you get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, or you know, whatever the excuses. Beginning of the year, you start praying for something and God doesn't instantaneously, instantaneously answer our prayers and, and immediately we get upset and we give up praying. Isn't that us? We need to learn to run with perseverance. We need to learn to stick it out. We need to learn to endure. Any athlete knows this. Anyone that exercises knows this. If you can't stick it out, you won't ever see the results. The writer tells us we need to run with perseverance. Thirdly, we need to run our race. Verse 2, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And, and I just want to make a quick point on this one. I never read this one before until uh, I was reading a book about it. Each person has a specific race. Yes, the goal of the race is all the same, to finish. But each person, God has marked out a, a specific route for them. And it's different. It's different for every single person. See, one of the mistakes that we make is that, that along this race, we get distracted, not by things of this world, but sometimes we get distracted by other people's races. Well, what about them? What about them? Why, why is God blessing them? Why is God giving them leadership you know, opportunities? Why, why are they being recognized in the church? What about me? And we fail to recognize, we fail to recognize that each person's race is its own. That God has marked out specific individual races for us. Yes, we have the same goal. We have the same finish line. But what we need to learn to do is we need to learn to run our race. You need to learn how to run your race Instead of comparing other people's races, you need to work out what's in front of you. And fourth, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible tells us that in running the Christian race, we need to keep our eyes fixed on, on Jesus. I believe that this is so important for us. 
And really, I think it's the only way that we'd ever get there. And, you know, there's a difference between looking towards Jesus and fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes talks about focus. Talks about, you know, in-depth perspective. Fix our gaze on Jesus, not towards, not to look at other things or other people, but Jesus. Why? Why is it so important for us to fix our eyes on Jesus? Scripture tells us that it's because he's the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. The pioneer, the one that started it. And the perfecter, the one that's going to finish it. He's the perfect model of running this race. He's the one that ran with endurance and perseverance. He endured the cross. He was scorned by shame. And he enjoyed the glory of God finishing the race. That's why we fix our eyes on him. You know, when our kids start riding bicycles, right? What's the, what's the first piece of advice that you give them? If you've ever taught someone how to ride a bicycle, there's two pieces of advice that you give them. One is keep pedaling, because if you don't pedal, you can't move. But secondly, what do, you tell them, what do you tell them to look at? You don't tell them to look right in front of the bike. You tell them to look forward, to look at, look at a point, look where you're going. Don't worry about what's right in front of you, to look out there. To be fixated on the goal. That's what it is with our faith. If you want to finish the race, if you want to be there on your last day with God, you've got to know where you're fixing your eyes. You've got to know. You know what? People go, oh, you know, it's okay. You know, I'm going to you know, have a season off without church, and, you know, it's okay. I'm going to have a bit of time without God. And, and you know what? People forget so easily how hard it already is and how easy it is to get sucked into this world. We have seen over and over again faithful believers, like faithful Christians that were not just going to church but were leaders in their communities for various reasons right now do not walk with God, have not finished the race with God at all. And sometimes it was literally like, I'm just going to take a little bit of time off. And then seven years went by. These people that, that were leaders, people were looking up to them. They got distracted by the world. They started a new job. Or they got married, had kids. They said these things on their own are not necessarily bad things. It's great to get married. It's great to have kids. It's great to get a new job. But if they are distracting you from the goal of your life, you're going to fall off. That's the reality. That's why we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't get complacent. Don't think that you can have the world and Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus because he will never leave you, he will never disappoint you, and he will never fail you. So let me ask you once again, as we make decisions and choices for this year, as we look at 2019, 
and you think about what's coming up and you think about planning ahead and you think about what's in front of you. Think about, remember what the goal is. The goal is not for you to accumulate as much finances by the end of this year. As much as that's not necessarily a bad thing, that's not your goal. The goal is not to have traveled the world as many countries and experienced all the cultures and all the foods all over the world. That is not the goal of your life. The goal of your your life is not to find the perfect man or woman, get married, have a few kids. That's not a bad thing. But that can't be your primary goal. As followers of Jesus, our goal is to be there with him on that last day. To be faithful. So, let me finish with these four questions. What are some things that you need to throw off? What are some areas you need to persevere? What is the race that you are meant to be running this year? And finally, where are your eyes fixed? I pray this year that you have the greatest year ever. I really do. I pray that over our church. I pray that over your life. I pray that everything that you plan and dream for this year, that that will come into fruition. I really do. But there's something more important than that. I pray that not just the first Sunday of the year, but when we get to the last Sunday of the year, that you all be here worshiping God together in this place. And that we'll continue to run that race, run the race of faith. And that we'll make it to the end. That's the goal. Let's pray.